Welcome to Comically Confused, a New 52 podcast, where we're covering the entire New 52 one book at a time. I'm your host, Grant. And I'm your host, Nate. And Nate, what book are we covering this week? Reviewing a kickoff to the New 52 with Justice League Volume Number 1. All right, yeah, so we're covering issues 1 through 6 of Justice League this week. Uh, Nate, tell me a little bit about what you know about this book and uh, how you know the Justice League. Man, this book is came out issue number one of this book came out before any new 52 books so it's really significant like jim lee and jeff Jones, the creative team for this book actually went signings across different states just to market this book this book is the baseline for new 52 the designs of this book carry on to the other books so designs for batman superman wonder Woman was all designed by this creative team this book is really big for new 50 as a whole yeah, I remember when this was coming out, uh, this was right when I was finally getting into DC after having been a Marvel kid for years and years. Uh, and I remember going to comic shops and asking like how to get into DC. They're like, oh, wait until August. This new 52 thing is happening. So yeah, I remember being there for the first issue. I actually had this delivered to my house in like a magazine subscription style, which comic companies don't really do anymore to my knowledge and were barely doing back then. Uh, but yeah, I remember being very excited for this and uh, following this month to month as it was coming out. So for my history with the Justice League, like most people who know what the Justice League are, my baseline is for the Justice League is the animated series, uh, the Bruce Timm show. It was one of the best animated superhero shows ever created. It let me know this was my first exposure to characters like Wonder Woman, The Flash and Green Lantern. And it's just an amazing show. Yeah, that's actually my introduction to the Justice League as well. Uh, I hadn't heard of pretty much anyone on the team except Superman and Batman when that came out. So that was kind of what brought me into the DC Universe as a kid. Uh, and I just think that series does a great job retelling a good 60 years of Justice League stories in a much more uh, modern and easy-to-follow way that works for kids. So uh, that that personally is still my favorite piece of justice league content ever created is that animated series and i think it's still very much worth checking out it's hard to top such a good quality show that still holds up almost 20 years later yeah doesn't happen a lot with those 90s and 2000s shows but that's definitely one of the exceptions so what's your history with just league as a comic franchise yeah, as far as comics go, I, I've never been a huge Justice League reader. I mean, once I got a little more into DC, uh, I checked out the first about eight issues of this book before dropping off. Uh, just was kind of having a hard time keeping up with comics since it was my senior year of high school. And uh, with issues we'll bring up in the next episode, they were very much pushing me to buy other books. And I wasn't within an hour of comic book stores, so couldn't really buy anything other than what was coming to my house. Uh, but as far as reading Justice League in general, I've checked out some of their major stories, a couple volumes of a uh, very famous run done by Grant Morrison in the 90s that's very respected. Uh, so I, I just like to take in some of the major events, but there's never been a Justice League run that I've read all the way through. Yeah, um, I, have a, I have a more experience with Justice League. I have read the Grant Morrison run all the way through, then the Mark Wade run. And even even though it came out after this book, I'm a big fan of the Scott Snyder run. So Justice League is one of my favorite teams. It's not number one or two, but I think it's number three, just because I think it's really holed down by how much I love the character dynamics that's actually on the team. 
Right. And one thing that I find interesting that uh, you've certainly told me about in the past is just how our vision of the Justice League that the average person knows is a lot more modern than one would expect. Uh, it really wasn't until the 90s that this particular version that consistently has Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman on the team, as well as like a Flash and a Green Lantern. Uh, just the Justice League as we know it only really took form about in the 90s when Grant Morrison started his run and then kind of solidified by that animated series. So the Justice League's looked a lot different from the most for most of its history. Yeah, that's true. As like when I was starting to become heavily in the comics, I was really surprised by the amount of time the Justice League was pretty sealess, if you want a sense. So we didn't they didn't have characters like Batman or Superman. We had uh characters like Fire and Ice and Booster Go and Blue Beetle, even though I love those characters personally. If I was a kid, I'd be like, who who are these people? It's the only runs that were really with the major hitters is the first appearance of Justice League in the sixties and that barely even had Batman or Superman or uh, Grant Morris run before, like you said before, beforehand it was a whole bunch of C-list characters that couldn't hold their own book in a team together and sell that. So, yeah, Grant Morrison really led the way for this modern adaptation of Justice League that we keep seeing today with the major leads. And I think that's really reflecting of the comic history as itself because the Avengers was like that at the time as well before one of the famous Marvel writers, Bendis, made it so it's all the cool characters on the team. Yeah, that's really what I think makes people love the team and keep revisiting it. I feel that Justice League books that have the more obscure characters, while they can absolutely be very well written, and I love some of those stories, they usually don't make the cut in the long run. I've found that those books usually get canceled sooner rather than later, whereas the ones that have the heavy hitters of the DC Universe, those are the books that can actually stay around. Yeah, it's only one Justice League book with obscure characters that people actually like. And it's called Justice League International, but that wasn't really like the standard Justice League book. It was actually a pretty funny comedy book, a slice of life book, which is heroes uh, chilling in the watchtower. Because it seemed like a Justice League has a lot of spinoffs, especially in like the 90s before Grant Morrison. We had teams like Justice League Extremes. You know, that's from the 90s. Uh, <laughs> Justice League Europe, Justice League Task Force. None of those books I recommend someone check out the day. Yeah, it really, this league really came what we know today is Grant Morrison run then animated series. Yeah, so speaking of Justice League writers here, then uh, let's focus up on this book a little bit more. Uh, this was written as mentioned by Jeff Johns. So tell me uh, about your experience with him as a writer. Ah oh, man, Jeff Johns is one of my favorite writers. He wrote people the definitive Green Lantern book for me. With his whole relaunch of Green Lantern, his Teen Titans run, one of my favorites, one of the earlier comics I ever read. Uh, and he's just an amazing writer. It's something about how he can make characters, understand, make the character dynamics on the page so easily. Just having a couple pan panels, and I know this character personality, even though it's a, might be a character not everybody know about. Jeff Johns was actually the person that got me into the DC universe. Uh, the first DC graphic novel I ever bought was one called Infinite Crisis that he did in the mid-2000s. And where I had previously been a big Marvel fanboy, didn't really care about the DC universe, that story is what really opened my eyes to how many cool 
corners of the DC universe there were with uh, their teen superheroes, the Justice League stuff, some of their magic things, the space warfare and the different things they have going on there. So even though that book was pretty hard to follow as someone that didn't have a lot of knowledge about the DC universe, it definitely made me want to read more of it and led me down a path to becoming more of a DC fanboy. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Johns in particular, he, like I made it a point to stay around his writing. Like I really loved his Teen Titans run. I tried to collect that. And over the years, I found that he's really the guy that's made us care about a lot of the Justice, or not just the Justice League characters. Uh, he's made us care a lot about the DC characters that are now more or less the important ones. Like he's the one who came in and revitalized the Hal Jordan Green Lantern books, made that relevant again. He's the reason people care about Barry Allen now. Like most of that TV show draws from seeds he planted in the DC universe. So kind of like how Marvel had... Iron Man and Thor as their C-list characters and then took off once they actually put effort into them with their movies. Jeff Johns did that with these DC characters in the comics. Like We only care about Aquaman and Flash and Green Lantern and a number of others because of Jeff Johns' work. Yeah, Jeff Johns is basically the Kevin Feige of DC at the moment. He he has outgrew comics in a sense because he's the executive producer of the Stargirl TV show. He co-written Wonder Woman uh 1984 he's a he was the developer of the flash tv show he does so much for comics elsewhere in tv shows and movies and i think it's just because he has so much clout in a sense just being a writer since the 2000s and just making good run after run and i think it's just his style of comics is he can make comics feel as a vent his make his comics feel bigger than life just in scale and still tell an excellent story. I think in a sense, he's like the Michael Bay of comics, but he can, his, his stories are actually good outside of just <laughs> spectacular events and just good to look at. He can actually tell a good story within that. Yeah, for sure. And so while I could sit here and gush about all of the Jeff Johns books I love all day, he's only half of the team here. So uh, this book was also drawn by Jim Lee, which we mentioned earlier in the episode. So uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your exposure to him. And Jim Lee, I mean, if you're a comic fan, everybody knew Jim Lee is because he he drew the highest grossing comic of all time. Yeah, X-Men number one back in the 90s, which is probably going to hold that title for the rest of time, unless comics really blow up someday in the future, which sadly most of us don't think they will. I think Jim Lee is a really special case, because I feel like a lot of modern artists is really influenced by Jim Lee, and Jim Lee art is always a constant evolution. I know some artists has like a set style and they just keep that style and don't really evolve once they make it. But Jim Lee art from the 90s through even in this book looks really different. And I really enjoy his art. It's just, you know, DC really wanted to have their A game on this book. It's hard just to say Jim Lee art is like really good. Yeah. For those less familiar with comic books, uh, Jim Lee is basically the most successful you could possibly be as a comic book artist, uh, not just in like the books he's getting now, but his overall influence on the medium of comic books. Uh, as mentioned in the nineties, he did a relaunch of X-Men with he drew that, uh, 
really kind of solidified him as a major figure in the 90s. He then went on to help create Image Comics, a whole nother publishing house that's still around today and has made major comics like Spawn and Walking Dead and Invincible. Uh, so that's a huge part of the industry that he was there to help pioneer. And as you mentioned, he's really evolved his craft. So most creators from the nineties are kind of stuck in that style. They either still write like they're doing nineties comic books or they draw their characters in the same exact way. Whereas this guy, he's really changed his form since then. So his work on justice league, number one looks nothing like his work on X-Men number one. And to show that he's still the powerhouse artist of the industry, his work on this book influenced pretty much all of the art for the next five to 10 years within DC. Even if people aren't trying to make their characters look exactly like his, his character designs here are more or less what people stuck to for all of these books uh, with all of these solo books that each justice league member had going forward. Yeah. And, and Jeff Johnson, Jim Lee is just not a fantastic artist and a fantastic writer. They actually have some status in DC as a company on the comic branch because uh, Jim Lee was and still is the co-publisher, and Jeff Johns was the creative director of all comics. So you, these are busy men, and they still had time to work in this comic together. So talking about the comic itself, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at our first issue here. Okay, let's hit the Cedar summary. All right, so in the first issue, we only get a small glimpse of the Justice League and the world we see here. Uh, the issue opens in the moment with Batman chasing down a mysterious hooded monster while being pursued by Gotham PD. Uh, he runs into Green Lantern ending the chase, and together they manage to take down this monster, which is revealed to be a parademon from the planet Apocalypse. Uh, the two of them kind of join forces here trying to investigate what this thing is, where it came from, since all of those answers aren't clear to the characters themselves. And meanwhile, we get a bit of a side story showing us a character named Victor Stone, who is an all-star football player that has kind of an absent scientist father working on something secret. Uh, but before we can get to know them too well, we cut back to Batman and Green Lantern, who have gone to Metropolis together, hoping to get answers on this alien box left behind by the alien. Uh, presumably, they think Superman can give them some answers, since they know he's an alien. Uh, however, their initial confrontation goes poorly. Green Lantern gets taken out with a single punch, and the issue ends with Superman squaring up to fight Batman next. So uh, what's your thoughts on this issue as a first issue, not only to this comic series, but to the New 52 as a whole? So the first issue of this book is serviceable enough as the first issue of a team superhero book, or uh, if you're reading this in a graphic novel, it works fine. It's a decent enough first chapter. Uh, the problem is this issue ends where most TV shows would have like their first commercial break. Uh, we haven't even seen half of the superhero team hardly here. Uh, we get little glimpses of the world that are very informative, but not really fleshed out at all. And for a book called Justice League, it's weird to me that we pretty much just see two members of the team here, whereas most superhero books try and introduce you at least a little bit to the entire team within the first book. Uh, on top of this, though, this was the very first issue of the new 52 that was released, and it just doesn't set the stage for anything that's to come with the rest of those 52 books. It uh, doesn't really make me want to go out and buy a bunch more. It doesn't inform me too much on the world itself. So I would not want this to be my kickoff book for an entire month for something as big as the new 52. Cause if 
this is supposed to get us to buy 52 books and it's barely convincing me to buy one. I feel like this issue is really built for the trade. And if uh, nobody know what a trade is, a uh, trade is a collection of one, uh, one, six issues together from a monthly series into one or can even more. And it feels really built for a trade. It feels like this is more after this. I don't have a complete story or left with a big interest to keep on reading for another month. It doesn't feel complete. And it's I feel like it's a really into a publication strategy to the new 52 is really the problem here because I don't feel like one issue is enough to have be a kickoff. I feel like if they really was going ahead and make this relaunch, they should have just made a volume one for sale. Yeah, I just feel like this really could have been executed better. Uh, other relaunches in the past, like Giant Size X-Men and a few other major examples have used uh, like a 60 to 90 page giant sized issue to kick off something like this. I think that would have worked pretty well here. So you'd at least have enough room to introduce the entire league before jumping into the rest of the book. And like... If you're going to do that, you can just take the loss on one book. So one bigger issue for the price of a normal comic with the assumption that this is going to sell other books. Uh, or what I think might have been a little better was that they used an event to lead into this series. Uh, we mentioned in our intro episode that the Flashpoint event going on before this is what kind of led to this universe being rebooted. But I feel like the event should have been the first set of justice league stories if anything uh, i think they really should have dedicated just a month or two to having some kind of weekly or bi-weekly uh mini event to kick off this whole universe that way people just have one book to buy for a couple weeks and then after a month or two that's when everything's out there so uh, they just really needed to build up this kickoff a little more and give the readers a little more something to work with uh, for us to build that goodwill to buy the rest of these books out there. Yeah, you know, that's a funny example you brought up with the giant size X-Men because the DC Rebirth, the technically and the new 52 we brought up in the intro episode, actually was an 80-page giant size issue for the same price. So, yeah, they actually learned their lesson in around five years. Yeah, but overall, I... Really wish we could have gotten more here. Uh, I mean, it at least did make me maintain my subscription. So it, it's not a terrible first book overall. I feel like I'm giving it a bad rep here. It's really just there was more. This book had more of a responsibility than I think it ever really could have met being just a 30 page story. Yeah, I really think I think it's mostly because of time constraint, because this wasn't planned. And Jim Lee and Jeff Johns was two busy guys at the time. So I feel like all they could crank out is a single issue, but just having three issues, the first three issues in one would have just been a better of just getting this first issue and then the rest of the books relaunched a month later. Mm -hmm. So moving on to the rest of the book here, uh, issues two through six just kind of show the establishment of the Justice League and their first big conflict they face together, that being Darkseid and Apocalypse. Uh, so Flash joins the crew as they're facing Superman and they kind of set their differences aside to investigate what's going on. And slowly over these issues, the members just kind of trickle together uh, with Wonder Woman and Aquaman coming in to help fight this invading force of parademons that's attacking the entire planet. 
Uh, we also see the origin of Cyborg, uh, Victor Stone, as he becomes a victim of these attacks and saved by experimental apocalypse technology uh, and joins the team. Once the whole team comes together, Darkseid himself shows up. There's a major fight. Uh, Superman gets kidnapped by Apocalypse. Batman has to inspire Green Lantern to help get the League to work together to stop Darkseid while he rescues him. Uh, and the team just barely manages to push Darkseid back through the portal that brought him to Earth. And with the new Cyborg's help, they're able to destroy all of the other portals by him hacking into the mother boxes that brought him here. Uh, with having the League come together to stop this major threat, this helps turn the public's opinion around on superheroes and the justice league is officially formed to help stop threats that no single hero could handle alone. Oh, uh, we're going uh, to our key points on the superheroes in this team book and how we feel about them being their first appearances. So how do you feel about green lantern? Yeah. Uh, he's kind of like the main character of this book more or less, uh, since, I mean, he's, kind of a point of view character showing up in the first issue and he doesn't know that Batman's even real at this point. Uh, so I'd say he's probably my favorite character in the opening arc here. Uh, I, it doesn't seem like there's any major changes to the character, except maybe he's a little bit more hot headed and rushing into danger, but I think that fits the mold of the character pretty well. So yeah, I actually really enjoyed this depiction of green lantern. And I agree. I can how. Ha- Somebody know Jeff Johns. You know, one of their favorite characters is Howard Jordan. So it makes sense he made him the point of view character. And I really like having any of the, the main team, having one character, the point of view character. So us as a reader or new readers that was sold on this book to have a lens to look through every character. Because Green Lantern has a spotlight with each of the main cast. As a team, Batman, Aquaman, Flash, and so on. So, yeah, I really like his character. And he has a small little arc throughout the book seeing him a, a cocky arrogant person into actually leading the team in versus dark side then yeah uh, I, I really enjoyed that since you see early in the book that he pretty much thinks he's the strongest person on the team and it makes a little bit of sense because these characters haven't really interacted before and there's not the whole world of super villains that they've been dealing with all this time uh if I was in Green Lantern's shoes in that world, I would also probably think I was the toughest thing there was. Like he thinks his ring that can create anything makes him unstoppable. So he's consistently the one that's like rushing into fights with Superman or when they first run into apocalypse, like three times in a row, he's the one that's like, don't worry league. I got this runs in, gets smacked, runs in again, gets smacked, like breaks his arm and just gets kind of wrecked there. And it's a little ridiculous and took me out of the moment in that particular issue, just since, like there's Aquaman and Wonder Woman there and no one's stepping in to get in the way. But at the same time, it does really cement who Green Lantern is. Like he's a bit of a cocky jerk, but at the same time, like he's also a hero. He's trying to get in there and save the day. Yeah, he's a cocky, cocky jerk at first, but all power is based on willpower. So he has the willpower to do stupid things like that. So it makes sense for his character for me. And I, I just enjoy it. Maybe I'm just a big Green Lantern fan, but I really enjoy this down to earth early career Hal Jordan. So he is one of my favorite characters throughout this book. So, uh, anyways, what's your thoughts on this Batman in this book? Yeah, uh, the Batman I enjoyed pretty well. Uh, 
most depictions of Batman kind of show him as being the guy that has a contingency for every scenario. And I was really glad they didn't do that here. I mean, with this whole world of superheroes being new to him, uh, he doesn't have a plan in place for when the world's attacked by aliens or how to take down Superman or anything like that. And because of that, you see him be a much more adaptable character this time around. Like, towards the end of the story arc, he unmasks himself to Green Lantern just to kind of have this moment of relatability so he can inspire Green Lantern to go on to inspire the rest of the League to take on on dark side and batman unmasking himself like that would normally be pretty out of character but here it actually works and just shows that like batman's willing to do what he needs to even like kind of break his own codes uh in kind of an end game scenario like what he's facing yeah i agree i really like this adaptation of batman in this i i'm not the biggest fan of grim dark batman i actually really like to see batman betrayal with other superheroes because he doesn't have the powers of Green Lantern or a Superman or a Flash, but he still can hold his own. This dude is uh, pure smart and intelligent. And I really like this one because it really reminds me of the Batman from the animated series because that Batman was pretty witty and snarky and had a whole bunch of one-liners. And you actually really get to see that here, but it doesn't get old. And another thing I like, I, I like at the start of the story that they go with the Batman that's still an urban legend. It's a lot of comics that really like to play with that, but doesn't make sense once we have a world with Superman or all the other heroes all about and just in Batman's just on the team, but just hidden. I really like that. We still get to have Batman as a mystery at first, but you know, later on people actually know who Batman is. Yeah. I, I like that. They really successfully make Batman kind of the butt of a couple running jokes through the book. Like, Two or three times, like, we hear Green Lantern and Flash, their first reaction is, wait a minute, Batman's real? And then literally half the team, when they first come into contact with him, are like, so what can you do? And have that shocking moment, like, he's always kind of shutting them down or working around the answer, but uh, just avoiding (laughs) the fact that he doesn't have any powers. Yeah, I really just like the scene with him and Green Lantern saying, hey, me or you, we're like the only normal guys here. Because you just have a magical ring. You're not an alien, or you don't run super fast, or you're not an Amazon, or you're not a fish person. You just have a ring that give you power. So we're alike here. So we got to look out for each other. That was a really touching moment. Yeah, and I really have to emphasize that is my favorite moment in this book. Is like not only is it touching, but it also just adds a little bit of humor while adding that human element to the book. Like Batman unmasks himself, and he's like, "I'm Bruce Wayne." And Green Lantern's response is, "Who the hell is Bruce Wayne?" <laughs> <laughs> we never see that when people do it. And I absolutely love that joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, any last points on Batman before we move on? Uh, I don't think so. All right. Uh, the Boy Scout itself. Superman, what's your thoughts on them? All right. So I just want to get this out there that I really like this character, but I don't exactly think he's Superman. Like, our first moments with him, he's just beating up on Green Lantern and Batman kind of tearing him apart throughout the city. And like Green Lantern, as he's calling the flash, his exact words are, this guy is going to kill us. And I know this is kind of early days of Superman, but that's just not the character I see him as even when he hasn't established himself yet. Like this is very much not the Christopher Reeve version of Superman that your parents know. 
However, I also think they do really cool stuff with this version of the character, uh, really kind of playing up the alien elements that he's a bit of an outsider. He has a harder time kind of relating to people uh, and just kind of the imposing presence of someone that's this powerful among people that aren't quite on that same level. I think it's really shocking how little we actually see at Superman in this. Because, you know, you think Superman is one of the biggest characters in DC next to Batman, but he actually gets the almost second run of uh, screen time uh, almost to Aquaman. And Aquaman appears in, like, issue five compared to Superman appears mostly in issue two and four. So it's actually really shocking how little we see of the character. And I can see the angle they're trying to do because this is an early day Superman, and he's just more gritty, let's say, uh, lack of a better word. But I don't know. He's really straight to action. He doesn't really talk things out. I found it really out of character for Superman I know for him attacking Green Lantern and Batman at the start. At least have a conversation. It felt a little forced, but this Superman, like you said, feels like an entirely different character from the Superman all of us know beforehand. Yeah, and I will say, at least he doesn't seem like a total bastardization of the character. Like, I can appreciate that this is at least a new take and that there's a lot of confusion going on. And his attacks on Green Lantern and Batman aren't totally unprompted. I mean, I feel like the fight is built up a little better than, say, Batman v Superman. Uh, But still, it just feels weird to know that this person is allegedly going to be the symbol of hope in this universe. Uh, I'm used to seeing Superman, Superman that act like this to be of some part of an alternate timeline of some sort. Yeah, uh, I'm actually curious to see how this Superman actually develops, because I know he has a major arc throughout this, throughout the New 52. So I want to see if we ever see a similar take of pre-52 Superman, anywhere in 52. So trickling through uh, an appearance order here, uh, next character we see in this book is the Flash. So uh, you being a pretty big Flash fan, how do you like the this particular version of the character? I really like him in uh, this book. He is pretty witty, pretty comical. He's basically the comic relief of the team, but doesn't feel overdone. And I really like that he has a past relationship with Green Lantern, so it it's a little more world building than just having all the characters first time meeting. And it's a cool nod for Khan because uh, Flash and Green Lantern are really tied to each other because back in the 60s, they both got relaunched during, I think, similar time almost the same month, I believe. So these characters always had a relationship even through their legacies. Yeah, these were both kind of the first like Silver Age characters we ever saw way back when they were introduced. This was sort of the first time DC ever reinvented past characters they had because they had old timey like 1930s and 40s Green Lanterns and Flashes. But I I like that they're giving us that little element from the old universes and showing that Green Lantern and Flash still have relationships because even though there have been like five or four or five Flashes and literally hundreds of Green Lanterns, that's usually a staple in both their books that these two characters just gravitate together regardless of who's behind the mask. Yeah, and I it's it's really good way of Jeff Johns using exposition. Like I said earlier, you can like introduce the characters super fast. Uh the first time we see the flash actually in uh in his police department and it's a cool panel I like or is you just see a blind guy at first and then it goes to the wall and one side of his face is Barry Allen and the other side of the face is him and the flash. 
Yeah, I have to say this book is probably the most effective or uh, efficient when it comes to the Flash's backstory or who he is as a character because he doesn't get a lot of attention in this book, but the little they dedicate to him really shows us everything we need to know about the character. Like that he's a cop, that he tries really hard to act within the law, that he's not just a mass vigilante, like he's doing what a citizen legally can in these situations. And he's a lot more hesitant to do anything that's in the gray area as far as the law goes. Uh, and yeah, they just really established his character very well, despite not dedicating all that much time to him here. I agree. It's really good. Um, let's move on to the next character, uh, Cyborg. Oh yeah, so Cyborg, we see a little bit through this whole book. Uh, he's one of maybe only two, you could argue maybe three characters in this book that has a fully fleshed out character arc, I'd say. Um, and that's really just because you actually see his origin story here. Uh, I'll say that I really like the character design itself. I think this is my favorite version of the character uh he's just mechanical enough to make his mechanical parts not look like latex but he's also not the weird just like apocalypse cyborg that we see in a lot of more modern adaptations so i really like his design uh however i i take issue with the fact that the guy's only like 17 or 18 in joining the justice league when you and I and most people who know the character know him as a teen Titan as a and as a teenage superhero in general. So I think that was a pretty questionable decision for DC to throw him right into the justice league when I would much prefer to see him kind of work his way there rather than being one of the founding members. Yeah. I was actually surprised because I misremembered. I thought he was a college college age beforehand but it makes a little more sense for him to get angry as a high school student if his dad not showing up and caring about them being a football star but i don't know for because i actually like having cyborg on the team if jeff johns is planning to do this big apocalypse and new gods related stuff in his just league series to have a character actually tied uh even just tech wise to the apocalypse stuff that's going to go happen later on but he doesn't do a lot most of his time in the actual arc itself, meeting with the team is just using his powers and not him as a character interacting with people. But I didn't mind him at all. Yeah, and I think there's some interesting execution with the way they incorporate Cyborg onto the team. Uh, he's famously taking the place of Martian Manhunter as far as the traditional Justice League lineup goes. Uh, and what I like about that is it means we still have one member of the team that's associated with their initial threat. Like when it's Martian Manhunter, the typical first threat the Justice League faces is the white Martians or some general alien invasion that Martian Manhunter is the one who knows about and is kind of the one who can warn the team about what they're up against. And since they replaced him with Cyborg, we still get that same element since I believe this is our first time ever seeing Cyborg being tied to Darkseid with his origin or at least Apocalypse. Yes. So yes, we at least get that here. Yeah, it's just I don't really get enough of the character of Victor Stone after we see the accident happen on him. He basically disappears in the right place at the right time and saves the day by accident. Mm -hmm. But I I don't I mean one last thing I want to say about Cyber. It kind of sucky that DC had so many books launching a new fifty two that. Cyborg is the only member of Justice League that did not get a book. It's his weird decision on my weird decision to think about 
because he got a book later on, like five years later. But at that point, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, especially with DC having a mind to be a little more socially conscious at this time. Like there's a few people that change race going into the new 52. Uh, I'm really surprised editorial didn't really think that out. Like, hey, maybe it's a little weird of us to give everyone on team except the one black member a book of their own. But yeah, I mean, the damage is already done. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the Amazon herself, Wonder Woman. What's your thoughts on her? Yeah, so I'm sadly not as well-versed in Wonder Woman as I'd like to be. I haven't really read many of her comics, so there's not a definitive Wonder Woman in my mind like a lot of other characters have, like Superman and The Flash. Um, I like this depiction of her well enough. Uh, I like that she's sort of the fish out of water on the team and still sort of discovering the human society. Uh, And I I like how frankly badass they make her like she's she hears that there's monsters out there and just immediately goes out to try and find it and is just asking people on the street like hey have you seen uh have you seen a monster flying around and uh, sure enough she finds it but uh yeah i just think we get some good character interactions with her as the fish out of water here i have similar thoughts on wonder woman that i have with superman because i'm i am a i know a decent amount about wonder woman and this doesn't feel like the wonder woman i know per se but I do understand that this is a different take on the character, especially this is her like first one outside of the mascara. So it makes sense for her to be a little more naive to human culture. And it really, Jeff Jones really showed that by the whole ice cream scene with her and a little girl and putting the ice cream on her sword really gave me vibes of uh, the first Dora movie with that character, <laughs> just interacting with the human world for the first time. So yeah, I, I like her character in this book, but if we're going to see later that he kind of keeps this characterization even later on when it's she should be more refined and be more the Wonder Woman we know and the Wonder Woman we see out other places other than this Just Sleep book. Yeah, I think the real problem comes here in the fact that uh, this entire book takes place five years ago, quote unquote, from the rest of the new 52. So in this particular book, that does totally work with her being kind of new to human society, not understanding what's expected of her. But after this, it does jump five years to the present and she's still acting the same way. So uh, that that's kind of when I understood people's problems with Wonder Woman here is that, yeah, she, like you said, doesn't really progress or mature in that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, we will talk about this a little more in our next volume of Justice League, but let's move on to Aquaman, our last major member of the team. How do you feel about him in this? Uh, Aquaman is frankly almost an afterthought in this book, I feel. I, I like how they depict him here, but he's just not really in much of it. I, I think he only shows up like at the tail end of the third or fourth issue. Uh, so don't get me wrong. They establish his presence in a big way. Like the first thing he really does for the team is have a squad of great white sharks come in and eat a bunch of parademons. So they, they make it clear right off the bat. This isn't the silly seahorse riding Aquaman. We all know about this was like the first step toward the Jason Momoa, big badass Aquaman that we'd get years later. Yeah, it feels a little like an afterthought because, but I feel like his introduction was well enough for what Jeff Johns want to do by just introducing the character. Well, first thing we see is a uh, Cal Jordan having the general opinion like everyone else, like a dude that talks to fish, 
looks pretty stupid. And then we just see a giant shark just eat a parademon and saying, yeah, I'm the king of Atlantis. And that's all we get. But it worked for me. Now, now we've kind of covered the entire team here. I'd like to focus more on certain points of the book and the story itself. Uh, kind of relating to the heroes directly, though, we see even in the first issue that this world does not see heroes the way we're accustomed to in the DC universe. Like the police are literally chasing Batman and the air force is coming after green lantern. Uh, and they just don't really have this reverence for heroes that we're so used to in the old DC universe. Uh, so how do you feel about that? I like it because it sets the tone for the book and that tone actually has a little arc because it first starts off as no one really appreciating Justice league and being free for them. It feels really marvel and how they treat mutants or superheroes at first in that universe but slowly it starts to develop more like dc we know and at the end of the story we see the the whole world loves to just sleep and it established that more heroes start to appear because of them yeah i I think it really makes an interesting backdrop here and gives some good extra conflict for the team to deal with uh, if anything, I'm a little sad that this is already resolved six issues in and so far in the past from the rest of the DC universe, because uh, I think a DC universe where the heroes really have to act outside of the law in a more or less detrimental way to their own reputations often, more often than not, I think that's a really interesting setting for any superhero book. So I liked it here, and my biggest regret is that we don't get more of it. <laughs> I agree. Uh so the key point I had, I really like that we really get to see these characters at their lowest in terms of being a superhero, actually, because they're all rookies. And even though they're all rookies, they still all get a chance to shine in the book. They all have at least one moment that you show that, yeah, they're still badass. Yeah, I thought they did do a good job of that. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd say Cyborg quite gets that moment that makes me think like, oh, this is an awesome, powerful person. Uh, which I think is a real shame since he is also the only reason that Justice League come out of this alive. Uh, like it's his connection with Apocalypse that allows them to shut the portals down. But other than that plot convenience, he's the only character that doesn't really get his own moment. Whereas, yeah, even Aquaman gets a badass moment. So it's a shame Cyborg doesn't get that. Yeah. Uh, talking about like the moment with Cyborg, how do you feel about the actual threat of Apocalypse in this? So. Having read this years ago and just kind of simmering on it and seeing how it's influenced other things like the live action Justice League movie and the some of the cartoons, I originally took issue with Darkseid being their first villain just since he's like the Thanos of the DC universe. He's their big bad you're supposed to work up to that really challenges the team physically and mentally and just push, pushes their powers to their limits. So when you start with him, you don't really have much room to escalate from there. But having actually reread the book now, I have a little more appreciation for the way they used him since the team doesn't really overpower him here. Really, it's if Cyborg didn't show up when he did, the Justice League probably would have lost or at least lost most of the world since apparently this is a threat that's happening everywhere. Like every major city is dealing with alien invasion. So I I think for this idea, they executed it as well as they could have. But at the end of the day, I really think they would have been better off starting with a villain like Brainiac or the white Martians or uh, just something that's not quite as world shattering as dark side is. Yeah. I feel 
like I like the threat of Apocalypse because they don't actually defeat it. It's not like Superman like punch Dark Side in the face and they just have an epic fight scene like that in the Endgame. Uh, they actually struggle with Dark Side a lot, and the fact that they only win by accident shows that they're still inexperienced, even though fighting a threat. I think my main problem lies in Dark Side itself that we don't see the complex character we saw uh, pre fifty two. All we see is this brooding big bad guy basically that barely has any lines and just there just to fight justly even though he you can see in other places that dark side is a way better character than just that yeah i mean he's basically a brute here if nothing else uh, and we get a little idea of how powerful he is and that like just his presence kind of defeats the league and like can almost kill them with a single blast of his eye beams but there's a lot more to dark side that makes him a threat than that so I think as much as I hate the live action justice league, I think it is a better idea to have some kind of like Lieutenant in this position. I mean, like Avengers did it pretty well, having Loki be kind of the head figure of the invading alien force. Uh, so they still had room to escalate from there. Whereas this, I mean, you've already fought dark side once. I don't expect these characters to be quite as afraid of him going forward when they absolutely should be. I don't feel like they got demolished enough. Like, yeah, Superman did get pretty messed up by uh, Ultra Beam, but I really just want to see, like, the, the Just League actually really get demolished by, like, just the might of Dark Side. And last minute, they get saved. They were still holding off a little bit of a fight before Cyborg actually teleported them away. Yeah, because really it seems like here the problem is they're fighting Darkseid badly. Like, you guys are just letting Green Lantern run at him over and over again. But, like, as soon as you guys just come up with the idea of let's fight him at the same time, that's when they're kind of getting the lead. Like, Wonder Woman blinds him with her sword, and then Aquaman gets the other eye with his trident. And so, like, okay, if you just needed to work together a little bit or have a 30-second pep talk to figure that out, I mean, I feel like with any kind of preparation, you guys could have handled this. Yeah, I felt like if all of them got, it, like, almost taken down, like, um, Superman, it it would have been, it would have worked a little bit better. But uh, moving on, you have any, uh, what's the key point you want to talk about next, Grant? Uh, so one of the major things that people took issue with this book is that five-year time gap we mentioned, that this establishes that this was five years ago, uh, which also means that the history of most of these characters or the elements of the history that they're cycling for the New 52 all took place in the last five years. So uh, how did you personally feel about that or just that established timeline that they set up here? Yeah, I am. Um, so you're just talking about for the major of this book or as a universe as a whole? I'd say as a universe as a whole. Uh, this is, like we said in the intro episode, is a major downside in New 52, which I think is a really of a detriment because DC was always known for this long history of having characters, uh, especially a team, a team like the JSA was basically imagine Captain America, but a whole team of people fighting in uh, World War II. Uh, and he loses that, and I don't think that really impacts a reader. I think that's just having world building. I don't think a new reader is going to be that swayed away that superheroes exist a little bit longer, and this may be just like the first reappearance of superheroes. So you lose a, a lot of cool characters like that, and I think the major thing is, and this book doesn't even mention it, that Batman apparently has a history 
even before this. And I, I don't know. It's just we're world building. And we see later it, a lot of things happen in five years that super unrealistic, even for a superhero universe that happened in this five-year gap. The main reason I take issue with this is how it makes such a concrete starting point for most, most of this universe. Like, if they had just phrased this as years ago, rather than specifically five years ago, a lot of my issues would already go away. Because now we're supposed to expect that in five years, Earth has gone through a good four Green Lanterns, Batman's on like his fourth Robin, a lot of other major events have happened that just don't quite make sense to be crammed just in a five to ten year period. But when it comes to continuity, I really think length of time is something that should be ambiguous because comics just don't really work dealing with real time. I mean, if that were the case, Spider-Man would be like 70 years old at this point. So I really think that's something that should just be ambiguous. And when it comes to continuity, you shouldn't set things in stone like that because inevitably you are going to have to uh, be vague about how much time has passed and such. So yeah, just don't give us a concrete timeline here let it be a little more up in the air. So 10 years from now, when people are reading this, it doesn't feel so weird. I think the main problem is they wanted to have their cake eat it too because they wanted to have us relaunch of everything, go back to ground one. But oh wait, that mean do we have to tell classic stories again? Do we have to tell a class story like a uh, killing joke or death of the family? Oh, that mean we can't have all these supporting characters that people will actually like and sell money like the Robins, Red Hood, Nightwing, all the Robins or other characters. So it's a mequel above because they didn't want to do a full reboot. So they have to like retell stories that people love and get rid of characters, but they still want to have a clean slate. So it's just inconsistent. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you there. And like I said in our intro episode, I really would prefer that they either just committed to doing a hard reboot and retold everyone's story over the next five to ten years here, or that they just didn't reboot the universe at all. Maybe just do like a bunch of new issue ones to give readers a new easy starting on point, but not necessarily reset the universe. Yeah. Uh, so you want to move on to our thoughts on the epilogue of this book? Yeah. So that's something that I didn't really touch on in my summary, just because it's so unrelated to the rest of the book. But at the end of the sixth issue, we see a couple characters that we had not previously seen in the first six issues. Uh, we see a woman in red known as Pandora that people who read Flashpoint would at least recognize, uh, as well as a man in a hat that goes by Phantom Stranger. And the two are having some conflict over some things that Pandora is apparently doing, things she's unleashed into the world, uh, the fact that she's apparently the one that sort of caused this continuity reboot. But yeah, it just feels really out of place. The characters are way too obscure for them to expect the average new reader to get anything out of this interaction. Like I've been reading comics since I was about 10 years old or younger, and I couldn't tell you a thing about Phantom Stranger. And I know Pandora, like a lot of what they're setting up here, I don't think really pays off down the line, but we'll get more into that when the time comes. But yeah, I really don't think this was an appropriate epilogue for the book that it follows. Only thing of substance I got up the epilogue is that it just like inspired a whole bunch of heroes, and that's that's like the reasoning of the rest of the heroes appearing up throughout the New Fifty Two. But other than that, I was really uninterested. Especially I know like the Pandora stuff gets dropped later on, and I didn't really. It just nothing really happened that really excited me. It's just set up for future events that I know that's really not going to pl play out. 
the way it's set it up to be. And I, I feel like it was a lot of hype in Pandora, especially because she appeared in Flashpoint and she's apparently the reason why the new 52 is this way. And she, you know, a fun fact, she appears in every issue number one in all the new 52 books at launch. I don't know if she appears in the volumes, but I know she appears in the actual like monthly issues. So uh, yeah, I'm not uh, familiar with any of her other appearances yet then. So it's, uh, it's like where Waldo. It's like she doesn't do anything in the issues. She's just in the background. In certain oh, so, so she doesn't even get like a story like she does here. She's well, just a no, background like, character. Basically, basically in like all the 30 issues that launched, or I think it's a little bit more, she's in a panel just there like where Waldo. So you have to like <laughs> look for her. She doesn't have a dialogue. She doesn't interact with the plot. She is literally just there basically as just just a cool thing I could say like right now that Pandora did appear. Uh, I'll have to see if there's some collection of these online because that's something I've never noticed in the other new 52 books before. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for that going forward. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's, let's move on to our final thoughts on this. What is what is your thoughts on this book as a whole? Overall, I feel like this does just good enough of a job to introduce the Justice League. Like. Uh, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee really had a tough task in front of them here. Like they didn't get a year or two ahead of time to plan this out. Uh, this task was kind of dropped on their lap last minute. Uh, and I think they did a pretty respectable job with that. Uh, but overall, I've seen better origin stories of the Justice League. And I think there's certainly a lot of aspects that could have been handled better. And while I think this works perfectly well as a first ch chapter of a Justice League story, it overall just doesn't really work as the launch of a line-wide reboot. Since, yeah, I might want to read some of these characters' individual books going forward here, but I I'm not feeling engaged enough in the rest of the DC Universe to feel like checking out any of the other 52 books that came out. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a tremendous entryway to New 52 as a whole. It feels like a Justice League story that it was just trying to put a lot of weight on because New 52 is way more than just like these characters or a super as a whole. It doesn't really tackle like the magic side or the darkest side of the universe or any way like that. It's basically here at Justice League Origins, Justice League is the main team of this universe. So this is all we get. So as a Justice League story, it's pretty. This was not my favorite origin for team, but it's a uh, it works as a it, comic yeah. and origin. So if I would give it a score, I would give it a I'll give it an eight out of ten because I did enjoy reading it itself. But I'm not really taking away by anything. I'm not gonna really think about this anywhere else. But it's a good book to just read. I'd come down a little lower. I'd only give it a seven out of 10. Cause I feel like with some of its major flaws, even as just a book itself, it still only kind of comes out as like a C plus work as far as comics go. Uh, like I'm getting a little nitpicky here, but uh, issues two through four of this book, nothing really happens. Like we get a slow trickling in of the members of the team, but like there's not really any actual plot progression in those until apocalypse shows up or until dark side shows up at the end. So I think that's a really big failing of the book there. Um, and otherwise, I've just seen a lot of these elements done better elsewhere. Like, at the end of the day, it feels like the Justice League was just the first seven people to respond to this crisis. And most of the members could have been interchanged with anybody. Like, we could have had Hawkman or Green Arrow here and... 
it would have served just as well. So uh, the members of the Justice League are supposed to be the inspiration for the world. And I didn't see many things that were really that inspiring from the whole league, other than the fact that they technically saved the planet. So I, I really think there are some key elements to a great Justice League book that are missing from this introduction to the team. All right, so what would you give a new reader for a starting point? You think this book is suited for a new reader at a starting point, or do you have any other suggestions? Uh, if they're insistent on picking up a Justice League comic book, this probably would still be the one I'd put in their hands. Uh, there are certainly better Justice League books out there, uh, like the Grant Morrison one we keep referring to. However, that's a 90s comic, and there's a lot of weird things going on, so I'd prefer they be a little more... Uh, accustomed to comic books before giving them that. Honestly, if I met someone who's just wanting to get into the Justice League, I would push them toward the original cartoon more than anything else, the cartoon from the 2000s, since I think that actually is one of the best introductions to the Justice League, uh, and it goes on to do a great retelling of some of their most famous stories, uh, and I think it holds up more or less to adult audiences, so I, I think that would be the best way to actually get to know these characters. Yeah, I would actually recommend for uh, the JSA run. Actually, for a con- for especially for a concrete, I want to get into the this league. Uh, it it's basically the same setup for this, other than it being dark side. It's the White Martians, like we said before. Uh, it is a couple of characters that get a little introduction, but you might be a little wary of if you know the general conception of the characters, like. How Jordan is in the Green Lantern that and Flash is in Barry Allen, but it I think it's reasonably explained well, and I think it holds up a little better than standard ninety comics than to a modern comics compared to other ninety comics that can they could end up reading. So I give them that. Uh, and it's really hard to recommend other Justice League run due to it either having history or being not the Justice League they're probably into. Uh, another suggestion be the recent scott snyder's run but i feel like that it's a lot of setup for that book that they have to read and do a little homework on before they can get the full weight of that so i recommend the jla run and if nothing else i will say that this book is a very quick read like you can easily get through this in a single setting and personally i don't usually love that with comics Uh, i think the reason it feels that way here is that the entire events of this book are take place maybe in a three or four hour period tops. Whereas I kind of like more time to pass with issue by issue storytelling. Uh, But at the end of the day, it does make just a good, easy, quick read. That's not bogged down with excessive dialogue. Uh, It's like the second half of a Michael Bay movie. If anything, it's just kind of, Point after point, usually stories being told through action sequences, uh, very high energy. So even if someone doesn't like this book, at least they didn't waste a ton of time on it. Yeah. So what's the latest you want to lead us into the question today? Yeah. So this is something we hope to do every episode. We'll be taking in requests for questions of the week from our listeners. But starting us out here, we're going to be focusing on who we'd pick for our own Justice League. So this particular rendition of the League is a pretty traditional stand-up with the exception of Cyborg. That was a new thing here. Uh, But Nate, who do you think you would put on your Justice League if you were tasked to set up a book? Seven characters I would put on my Justice League. And I want to, it was a hard coming up with this list because unlike the Avengers where you can like mix and match different characters, uh, Justice League teams are pretty set on having like a certain 
certain couple characters. Uh, so starting on my list would be Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash. Uh, the Barry Allen adaptation of the character because I feel like he works the best with these leaguers. Uh, Green Lantern. Green Lantern would be a character that we will actually get into because if it was a parents in New 52, uh, Jessica Cruz, she's a female Green Lantern that actually deals with anxiety. Uh, Martian Manhunter and Aquaman. Aquaman. And yeah, now Dixon, let's mix uh, things up a little bit here. Yeah, let's get a wild card there. Let's make it yeah. a full eight. <laughs> My wild card pick would be Vixen to have more female representation and uh, have another person of color in the team. Uh, I pick Vixen because she is usually a leaguer in most cases when you can expand the league. I know she appeared in the Justly Inter- uh, Just League Unlimited TV show a little bit, and that's the first introduction that character. And I feel like she has a cool, cool spiritual magic power that the team doesn't have already because I don't really count Wonder Woman as magic per se. So I think she's a really fun character I like to see used more. Yeah. So mine always starts out very similar to yours. Uh, I've got Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman on there just because they're the staple of the Justice League. It's not much of a league without them. Uh, I also have a Green Lantern and a Flash, but my Flash is actually Wally West, who's kind of a fan favorite and also the one that was depicted in the cartoon I grew up with. So uh, yeah, I definitely push for him. My Green Lantern is Kyle Rayner who's uh, a 90s Green Lantern, who's often depicted as the most powerful Lantern. Uh, And he's just, I love his costume design. I think he's awesome as a character since he's an artist that gets the ring. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. So I'd be probably pushing for him there. Um, Similar to how you had Vixen for magic, I would actually put Zatanna on the team for that. I don't have a deep love for the character, really. I don't know much about her other than that she is a magician, basically, in a pretty frequent member of the justice league so just to open the door to a lot of magic based stories i'd throw her on the team uh i'd also put martian manhunter in there just because i think he's a great character that deserves to exist in the dc universe but not one that i think can really support his own book so i think the justice league is the best place to put him and for my wild card i would put black lightning on the team uh not only just to give the team a little bit more representation, but I think he would really do a good job grounding the team. Like in Brian Michael Bendis's new Avengers run, they added Luke Cage to the team and he was kind of the social conscious of the group. He was the one that was bringing them into cities and dealing with social issues and bringing that up and black lightning being a principle of a neighborhood that has a lot of troubles. He's a very grounded hero. And I think we could see a lot of interesting stories with him being the one that's like, okay, we saved the world, but what does that really matter if we're tearing each other apart here, or we're not actually staying around to rebuild houses and make society any better. Uh, So I really think there's a lot of good storytelling there. And plus he's just one of the few adult black DC superheroes that really has their own identity isn't tied into any legacy characters and can really just stand on their own for their own book yeah i agree with you uh really nice list it's funny that we didn't go too crazy with our picks because all the characters we all the characters were both on our list were both all justically members uh once upon a time you know and it's funny actually because you think uh your green lantern and the flash are the same Two Flash and Green Lanterns from the Grant Morrison run. 
Yeah, that's probably a little bit of influence there for me as well. Uh, while I never felt the need to read through that entire run, uh, I think their dynamic was my favorite one. And it just kind of makes the most sense to me since I think Wally West is a lot more creative with the Flash powers and Kyle Rayner is often shown to be the most powerful Green Lantern. I feel like the Justice League should be the most powerful version of all these heroes. Yeah, I also like it because it gives a nice legacy to the characters because they're not the first because, like, most of the leaders are supposed to be the first in their generation. And then we have uh, younger kids, like, Wally used to be a sidekick, and Kyle just got his powers, and he's in his early 20s. So it brings a nice dynamic. Mm-hmm. So looking forward here, uh, I know we're only covering the next volume of Justice League for now before revisiting this. But uh, overall, are you looking forward to reading the rest of this book just based off this first volume? Yes, because it's not a... It was a surface enough volume. I like the creative team, and it's they can almost take this book anywhere because nothing really was set up, just other than just the characters itself meeting. So I feel like you can go in a lot of different directions with this book. Yeah, I mean, I really like the creative team. I know this was a tough task they had to start out with, but uh, just what I know from Jeff John's writing and Jim Lee's talents as an artist, I'm sure they have a lot of awesome stuff in store for us for the next 52 issues here. Yeah, so let's close it out, Grant. Yeah, so uh, having answered the question of the week, that brings our episode to a close. Uh, if you want to help us out, you can send questions of the week to us on our social media. We're at New52Podcast on Twitter or Comically Confused on Facebook. Uh, also, if you could leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice, you'd really be helping us out there as well. Uh, we'll be back here next week where we're going to continue our coverage of the Justice League with Volume 2. But until then, we'll still be here comically confused.